Amen. Like I said, we're continuing tonight with our expository uh, study in the Epistle of Galatians, uh, chapter 3, if you want to turn with me uh, there tonight. Last week, you'll remember, we were examining uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, and we looked really primarily at those four things that can be expected in regards to the spiritual condition of one that has truly been made righteous through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Isn't it good that we can have an expectation, Benjamin? That we just didn't get saved and we're just like, hope for the best and we're just going to wait until... Until he comes back. I'm so glad that, that something happened. How many of you, before you got born again, or got legit, or got uh, had a bona fide relationship with Jesus, that you, you meandered through some of that religious stuff, for whatever period of time it was. You, you remember what it looked like. That there was no victory, there was no hope, there was no change in transformation. I talk about all the time that you know, going through those things, those ebb and flows, those ups and downs, and all of a sudden, Looking at that 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 where it says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new person. That all that old stuff has passed away, behold, everything becomes new. Shouldn't that be the expectation of every single one of us that come to Christ Jesus? You know, unfortunately, in, in our culture, in our day and age, that's not the ex expectation. And I don't even believe it's even the communication off of most pulpits telling people. You know, I think we're more beholden and we're more committed to failure than we are to victory. You know, because you'll hear people all the time and they'll have a commitment to sin. Well, listen, I'm just going to mess up every single day. Well, why is that? Well, I'm only human. Well, we were only human, but now we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Spirit of God enables us to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So, yeah, I, I can choose to do wrong at any time I choose to. But God, help me to make good choices. God, help me not to choose those things. Let your will be done on earth with Troy Bond and with whoever else. In the same way that it is in heaven, that same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells inside of me. And even though he was tempted in all ways, just like we are, he was without sin. So if that same spirit that enabled Christ Jesus to walk in victory, to see the fulfillment of all those things, why not allow that to walk in our hearts and lives? So that's our expectation. And if you remember last week, and I'll, go, I'll run through them just uh, real quickly tonight, the four expectations of really having that, uh, uh, that spiritual condition in our life is, number one, righteousness, or the condition of being made conformable to God's standard. I want to be pleasing unto Him. You know, I believe that when we stand before Him, I want Him to say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. And I like what He said, you know, every good gift comes down from where? Above, the Father of life. See, there's no variableness. There's no shadow of turning. So if He's going to say to me, I'm good, I know where that goodness had to have come from. You ever think about it in those terms? Because every good gift, if He's going to say you're good, it means... Ah, you got a revelation and a realization of who I am. You allowed me to come into life. My good and faithful servant. You're full of faith. We're saved by grace, obviously, through faith. In other words, you got it. You got it. You kept thinking about yourself, and you started looking at me. So we're going to be made conformable into that standard. We're going to be like him. The second expectation, we're going to be children. We're going to walk in that inherent uh, condition of those walking in the new birth. You know, we're, we're children by the spirit of adoption. Right? Is that who we are? You know, in, in, in Kelsey, Kelsey's our daughter through adoption. That's what it is. But you know what? If people had just met us and they hadn't heard her testimony of when she came to the Lord and, and you know that we got, we, we had a new baby come to the family. She just happened to be 20 years old at the time. But you know what? For us, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. She was a little late showing up, but we're so blessed that she did. And you know, people meet her. People are around her. You know what? Because of the spirit of adoption, she's our child. That isn't some project that we took on or, or, or something of that nature. That is our girl. That is our, our, our daughter that we love. And we say that to one another, just like we say that about our, our quote-unquote biological children. Man, Kelsey, that's our girl. We love Kelsey. Mom and I say that about you all the time. We love that sweet little grandchild that we have through her. And so through that, there's something that's been invested into her, her life. And so unless somebody else tells you something different, people's going to think, hey, you know, that's it. So shouldn't that be the same way with us? That we're, Christ, we're in Christ through the spirit of adoption. So we can call him Abba, Father. And so we become that offspring that in turn produces offspring. And so in, in, in my family, I can't speak for anybody else's family, but in my family, talking to my daughter, you know, when I told her, Ben made a comment on somebody's Facebook post the other day, they were talking about arranged marriages. And he said, well, well, well Kelsey's dad had put certain criteria on me before we ever even broached that subject. And I said, yeah, that's the closest thing to an arranged marriage. You know what? Whether Benjamin's selling insurance or Benjamin's managing a storage facility like he's doing now or whatever it is, you know what he's going to do? He's going to preach the gospel, period. 
Why? Because that's what my children do. My children preach the gospel. And so by extension, that's an investment. And the good news is, is that's what his mother and father did. His dad did that. So he bought into something that was synonymous and walked in, in lockstep with who he was. So if Kelsey's going to get a guy, whatever he does vocationally, to put uh, bread and uh, potatoes on the, on the table, I'm, I'm fine with that. But he's going to preach the gospel. And as a result, our grandchild uh, is going to preach the gospel as well. So for us, we've got to have that expectation that, that what we're going to reproduce is those things. And the third thing, or that expectation, is justification or being admitted into a state of right standing with God. Are you in right standing with God? Is, is God, I, let me put it this way, is God all right with you? Is God all right with you? Or, or do you think that, man, you're just always ducking and all these things? See, when I get a, a, a revelation of who Christ Jesus is, I'm truly putting my faith in Him, and I'm walking in justification, man, I know that I'm in right standing with God. That God does, it, one day if I stand, when I stand before Him, I'm not going to try to make a liar out of Him. And he's going to say, once again, well done, my good and faithful servant, when I really didn't do those things. He's going to be able to speak truthfully. Why? Not because of me crossing the T's and dotting the I's, but because I put my faith in who did it for me. And I have hidden myself in him, and I abide in him and him with me. So the fourth thing is to be blessed. Anybody want to be blessed? You know, people, you know, we talk about this day and age with all the prosperity preachers, and we know we're not talking about that, about wearing Rolexes and driving Rolls Royces and stuff. But I'm too blessed to be stressed. In other words, I've got my dependence upon him. And so the Word of God tells me not to worry about anything. Why? Because you won't add an inch to your height by worrying. Fifteen years old, folks, I was five foot ten and a quarter barefoot. At 50 years old, I'm five foot ten and a quarter barefoot. I haven't started shrinking yet, so I'm still what I was. I haven't added any height by worrying or anything else. And so I just cast my cares upon Him because He cares for me. So I'm, I'm benefiting from a place, a condition, or a relationship with God. That's the expectation. Are you benefiting from that relationship? Because if there's no benefits to the relationship that we have with God, why are we in that, that, that relationship? If I don't have the benefit of walking in victory, why be in that relationship? If I don't have the benefit of, 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 of holiness and, and righteousness being in my life, if I don't have the benefit of joy unspeakable and, and full of glory, why would I be in that relationship with that one who's not just does those things, but he's called those things? And so the benefit that I have through my relationship with Christ Jesus and being made righteous through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary is I get to be like him. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to begin to look at the flip side of that. We talked about all the benefits, all of those things that, that come along with being a partaker of his divine nature through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. So now we're going to look at the flip side or the consequence of looking for something or somewhere apart from faith alone and bringing a person to a place of satisfying uh, the, the righteousness and the right standing with God. You think about, we talked about this, that, that Paul told Timothy. He said in the last days that many will depart from the faith, right? And what are they going to do? They're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines, teachings of devils. And do we look at that and we think sometimes, what's that going to look like? How, how, uh, how emboldened is the adversary going to be? Folks, listen, I believe he's still using the, the little subtleties. He's still using the little foxes to spoil the vines. He said, but many are going to depart from the faith. And so the faith in what? The faith in what Jesus did and put the faith somewhere else. And you know, you think about seduction and what that does. You know, we think about it obviously in, in, in terms of a seductress or a seducing spirit or something of a, of a sexual nature. You're only seduced by those things that are appealing to something in your life. You know, if there's not something that you like, say for instance, I'll just say seduced by something. You know, some, never, no one's ever going to attempt me to overeat if they put a bowl of sour cream in front of me. They're not. You know why? I can't stand sour cream. Now, if they put some guacamole or something, I may partake of that. But I'm only going to be seduced by those things I like. It's whatever it is. And so the adversary is always going to present something like an angel of light. And his, his messengers, they're going to be those, 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 they're going to look like ministers of light as well. So that's the seduction to bring you away from the solid teaching of God's word back into something that may have some type of similarities, but at the end of the day, it's going to lead you to a, a path of destruction. So let's look at our text tonight. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. And here's what it says. It says, but those, remember, this is the but to all those other things, all those promises, all those expectations that we have, 
But if we don't do that, if we don't walk in, in faith towards that, he says, but those who depend upon the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no man can be right with God by trying to keep the law. He said, it is clear. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that has a person's life. I want to reread uh, verse 10 again. It says, but those who depend upon the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, cursed is anyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. And so when we're looking at this, and obviously, once again, this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatians. It had been infiltrated by the Judaizers who were trying to steer them away from the doctrine of justification by faith back into a dependence and adherence upon the things of the law, specifically uh, the, the, the men being circumcised and all of those things. And we know all that. We talked about it at nauseum. But what he was doing is he had gone into this church and he had firmly established the justification by faith. And that was the sole means by which God has provided for man to be reconciled back unto him. Now he flips the script. He turns to the negative counterpart of this doctrine. That being the impossible nature of justification through the law. And so we talked about the possibility or the promise of being justified through faith. But folks, just as there's the possibility and there's the promise of that... There's an impossibility of being justified through the works of the law. There is no way ever that it's going to happen. There's no way that you can do enough good works to somehow satisfy the righteous requirements of God. Folks, we see it all the time when we minister to people. You've heard it. You've had those conversations probably dozens and dozens of times. Where you'll go to somebody, you'll ask them, how's your relationship with Jesus? Well, I do good things. There's certain good things that I do. And, well, I'm not killing anybody. Or, or why aren't y'all out feeding hungry children in Africa? How many of you have heard that? Or, or I went on a mission trip and I dug a, a well in Tanzania or, or whatever it is. Or I rescued a young girl from the streets of Calcutta, you know, with the help of Mother Teresa. Or whatever it might be that you may have done. And so, folks, we're always trying to find our way back into those good works. It is impossible. Because the second that you do enough good things, somebody's going to come along that's going to do something better. And so what does that do to the standard that you thought you had? It eliminates that standard. It's like in track and field. You can go back all the way into, what, 1968, the, 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 the Olympic Games in Mexico City where Bob Beeman broke the, the, the record by you know, jumping you know, an enormous amount of length. And that record stood for years and years. And people thought that that was the standard by which all long jumpers would be judged. And then many years later, somebody else came along and they out-jumped him. Well, who's Bob now? Well, he's just the second best. Folks, second best isn't going to get it done. And so we've got to always come back to, the, to, to what's going to bring satisfaction to not us, but to God's will. And so the way in which Paul lays out this, this case is for, the, uh, and really for the lack of a better term, I'll just call it genius. You know, I think about the way Paul describes these things and the way it wants to hit home. And it's like, man, he, he pulled out all the stops and really within context, it's, it's, it's the perfect description of what he needed to say to these people to get the point across. And so he brings this and then he uses the statements of the law themselves to establish his point. He primarily, that those desiring to live by the law are so bound by the consequence of, of those principles by choice. Folks, the word tells us that by our words, we're justified, and by our words, we're condemned. And so Paul the Apostle, that's why I call it so genius. You can tell he was such a tremendous listener. So he's listening and taking in all these things and obviously working under the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so he's taking this situation and he just flips the script upon them and uses their own words because the Word tells us that you set a snare for yourself with your own words. And so he allowed the words of those things spoken in regards to the law that they were now putting their dependence upon to be the very tool by which he brought them back to a place of justification by faith. And so what he did, he provided three primary points to make his case. If you take uh, taking notes, uh, you can write these three points down. I'm going to go over them tonight. And the first point that he used, and, and like what I said was really genius, is that those living under the standard requirements of the law are willfully placing themselves under the curse of the law. And so if I am putting myself under the, uh, willfully putting myself under the standard of the law, I'm also willfully putting myself under the curse of the law 
Because the law declares that those who fail to keep it in its entirety are cursed. And so if I'm saying, listen, I want to be judged by the law. What I'm also saying is at the end of the day, I'm also going to be cursed by the same law. Why? Because if I fail in one point, what do I fail in? I fail in the whole thing. And so there's absolutely no way, no how, no day that I'm ever going to be able to maintain or keep up the requirements of the law. There's no way I can do it. And so the second point is no one is justified by the law since the law teaches that men are justified by faith. And so if I want to put myself under the law and I say I'm not going to be justified by faith, I'm going to be justified by the law, A, I'm going to fall under the curse of the law, and B, I've done exactly what the law said I would do. I would fall under that. Why? Because men are not justified to begin with. They're justified by faith. And the third thing is no mixture of law and faith are possible because they operate independent of one another and they're mutually exclusive and thus they serve to cancel one another out. So I can't say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to be a person that's saved by faith, but at the same time, I'm going to keep the law. It wasn't that the situation that, that, that Paul confronted Peter on. That they went and they, 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 they talked and they had this, this, this council in Jerusalem. They talked about the Gentiles coming to faith. And they said, okay, there's just a few stipulations. Then Peter shows up all of a sudden and he gets confronted by the, uh, the, the, those that are adherent still to the Jewish customs. And he wants to take Barnabas and others away. Why? Because he wants to bring a mixture. He got openly rebuked, obviously, by Paul the Apostle. Folks, you can't have a little bit of law and a little bit of faith and hope that you can stir those things together and get your own flavor. I'm either justified by faith in, in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, or I'm justified by the law. That's my two choices. But we know that there's only one that actually can bring justification and salvation unto my life. And so if I choose this one inadvertently and choose the law, what's it going to bring? It's going to bring the consequence of condemnation. So tonight, I want us to look at that first point, that those living under the standard requirements of the law are willfully placing themselves under the curse of of the law. And that curse is always going to be associated with the law. Turn back to the Old Testament. The book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 27. I'm going to look at the last verse of 27. Then I'm going to just skip that. You know that there wasn't those chapter breaks when, when this was originally written. So I'm just going to skip over and act like there's no chapter break between chapter 26 and 27 and 28. So I'm going to read 27, 26 and 28 1. In regards to what we're talking about here. Here's what it says. It said, Cursed be he that affirms not all the words of the law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. So he said, Cursed are all, all those who don't keep every principle of the law. Cursed is that person. And all the people said, Yep, that's the way it's got to be. Now let's jump over to verse 1 of chapter 28. He said, But if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all of His commandments that I am giving you today to observe all to do His commandments which I command you, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. So he's saying, listen, cursed are you who affirms to walk under the law. He said, but you've got to do every bit of it. Yep, that's the way it's going to be. He said, but if you fully obey all of those things, you're careful to keep those things, there's going to be some benefits to it. You know what that's like? I remember years ago when I was just, you know, maybe in college or really when I first got married, I was looking through the newspaper for these jobs. And it's like, you know, I remember one that always came in the newspaper and it would say stuff, you know, you're a young guy and, you know, looking for them. It said, sports-minded people. And, you know, you're a young guy, you play sports. And so you want to call that stuff. So it says, earn up to, and this was back in the, in the 80s, so earn up to $10 an hour. Back then it was like $20 an hour now. And so you go and, they're saying, and you're thinking, man, I can get this job and it's going to be sports-minded or people that like to be outside and you're going to make this kind of money. And you get there, and they're saying, listen, you can do that. As a matter of fact, you might even be able to make $15 an hour. Oh, really? And yeah, come in for this interview. And so you come, and you think that maybe you're just the neatest person. You realize there's a room full of all these other people that just got suckered into the same uh, 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 ordeal that you did. And so you get there, and they say, yeah, you can make $15 an hour. Oh, great. And all you've got to do is this. Well, what am I going to do? Well, all you've got to do is sell 400 magazine prescriptions every single week. Think about it. You live in a city of 200,000 people. And all you've got to sell is 400. You're not even having to touch 1% of the population. That should be easy for you. Man, you're an outgoing guy. You, you, you've got some salesmanship. Man, you, man, we've got a wonderful product. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I can make a thousand dollars a week, and all I've got to do is to, to sell magazine prescriptions to four hundred people. Then you get out there that first week, and you can't get four people to buy that stuff. Folks, that's exactly what it's kind of like, and that's what Deuteronomy is saying. Listen, man, you can make all of this stuff, but it ain't never going to happen. I can make you all these promises if you meet these certain sales figures, if you meet these these certain parameters. If you if you then you'll be getting all this commission. Any of you guys worked on commission? You know exactly how that works, man. It sure sounds good when you're in the interview. Then once you actually start having to do the work, man, that money stops flowing, folks. That's exactly what he was the point he was trying to make in Deuteronomy twenty-seven six and twenty-eight one. He's like, listen, man, if you can do that, man, it's going to be great. But I got news for you: you ain't never going to do that. That was the genius, I believe, of Paul pointing them back even to the very words of the law. You've got to be dependent upon a law that has promised you to fail. That's why the law is called our schoolmaster. It's the thing that's bringing and says, man, it's hard. Well, it's called school. It's hard. That's why it's called work. It's, it's hard. That's why it's training us and it's chasing and chastening in us. And so the point of the law is not broken into this collection of points or principles where we can choose some of the most vital ones and, 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 and seeing which ones might outweigh the others and, and maybe uh, uh, we're going to find some that are less important but it's the whole law and it must be kept in its entirety to be kept at all. If I'm not doing it all, I'm not doing any of it whatsoever. If I leave out one ingredient from the cake mix, I don't have a cake all I have is a mess if I take out one component of the law, I don't have righteousness, I have a curse. And so the difference between the blessing and the curse under the law is just one solitary ingredient missed from the equation. You are going to be set up for failure. So when these Judaizers came in to that early church at Galatians, who Paul had given this revelation of redemption through faith, they came in and said, listen, listen. Man, look at this wonderful law that God gave through Moses. Look at all these things and, and these things that you can do. Here's what you can do. You can physically do this. You can do certain things. And if you keep all these things, you're going to be made righteous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Paul didn't give us anything. He just told us that we had to put our faith in Jesus. How boring is that? Folks, listen, we may look back at them a couple thousand years. But folks, I know people in the body of Christ that really think the same thing. It's almost too easy for me to be obedient. You ever think about it like that? God made it so easy. He made the, the way so apparent. Folks, that narrow way is narrow. That way you don't have all these other distractions on either side of it to draw your attention away. It's just the way, the truth, the life. Why? Because that way there's no confusion over any of these other components. And so he says, listen, just do that. Well, that's too boring. Why can't I use the, wear the right hat on my head or grow the right type of beard or wear the right veil over my face or do all those other things? That way I'm in competition. I can measure myself against someone else. Well, you can do those things. But if you fail at one point, he says that you are cursed. You are condemned. Look at it and look at what we're talking about tonight in, in regards uh, to that law in uh, comparison to what we see in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 1. This is such a familiar part of Scripture, but look at it in regards to what this same apostle was telling the Galatian church as he gives this, this beautiful, uh, uh, really outline concerning really what he's laying before them. He said, There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, there's the curse, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's what verse 1 says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What if I ask you the question tonight, what does it mean to walk after the flesh, Courtney? 
What does it mean to walk after the flesh? What would you say? Huh? Your sinful desires? David said, if I said, what does it mean to walk after the flesh? What would you say? Walking out of the will of God? Sinful desires? You know, we look at that sometimes. We talk about walking in the flesh. And we swing the pendulum all the way to one end or the other. You ever notice that? And so when Paul's talking contextually, he's, he's not talking about drunkenness. You've read the 7th chapter. Most of you have read the 6th the chapter. I don't remember hearing drunkenness or lewdness or any of those things even mentioned in, in the context of this. So he's not talking about sexual immorality, lying or stealing. But the statement comes on the heels of his description of one trying to keep the law. That's what the seventh chapter was. It was that, that parenthetical statement after Paul gave this, this enormously weighty, challenging chapter 6 about am I going to continue to sin so that, that the, God's grace can abound? God forbid! Then he goes on to say that, that we're no longer a slave to sin, but we're a, a slave to righteousness, that, that we're no longer under the law, that we're under grace. And it talks about whoever you yield yourself to, you become the, the slave to. Then he gives that statement, he says, uh, in, in, in chapter 7, listen, under the law, the things that I wanted to do, I couldn't do. The things that I said I'd never do, what did he say he did? He ended up doing, oh, wretched man that I am. So all the law did to Paul the Apostle in chapter 7 was reveal how wretched he was and how cursed he was. Then all of a sudden, he comes to this point and he says, listen, those that are in uh, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus don't walk after the flesh. He wasn't talking about going on some drunken rampage. He wasn't talking about having some little filly on the side. Walking in the flesh doesn't always fall under the category of what we see in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 11. Which was, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols, commit adultery, are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, greedy, drunkards, abusive, cheaters. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Obviously, all of those things are fleshly. They're carnal. carnal they're, they're immoral actions. But they're not the only way to walk after the flesh. They're just the most obvious ways to walk after the flesh. I mean, do you know what Proverbs 14, 12 says? Come on. Anybody besides all of y'all? That there's a way that seems so wrong to a man. Is that what it said? There's a way that seems so right. There's a way that seems like it would make you righteous. Folks, the law was a way that seemed right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. They will take you to the curse. Think about Proverbs 14, 12, just like we're talking about here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. There's a way. There's a law. It seems right. It seems like it would produce righteousness because it's doing a lot of good things. But the end of it, all it's going to do is bring a curse upon your life. Why? Because all you're going to constantly find yourself doing is failing. What you're going to constantly find yourself realizing is that the natural carnal man is not subject to the law and you can't be. You don't have the ability to do those things. And if you did, well, the cross of Christ is, was done in vain. And so, to the sincere follower of Christ, the sexual immorality, the idolatry, the drunkenness, the thievery, homosexuality, greed, whatever those things, those would never seem to be right to us. Under any circumstance, if you're a sincere follower of Christ... Unless you're just some delusional person, you're never going to think, well, it's okay for me to be those things just in, in, in moderate. You're never going to think that. But what about religion? Or let me just, we hate religion because we make it, it's all about somebody else, the Catholics or somebody down the street. What about just going to church on a regular basis? Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I go to church on a regular basis. You hear that, don't you? We probably said that. Are you, are, are, what about self-righteous good works? Well, listen, I, go, I, I witness. Well, I didn't ask if you witnessed. Ask you if you were a follower of Christ. Ask if you were made righteous by Him. Uh, what about insincere worship? Have you ever thought about, God, am I offering that to you which really doesn't cost me anything? How do you think your worship's going to look when you're before Him? You think it's going to be a reckless abandonment? Well, I can tell you what it looks like. I just read the word, you know. Fallen like dead men, 
casting their crown. It's going to be very demonstrative. And so, do you think in heaven, worship is going to be sincere? So if it doesn't equate with heaven, would it be insincere? You, you see what I'm saying? We offer strange fire, or we draw near with our mouths, but our hearts are far from Him. What about even with giving? You know, grudgingly giving. And you guys have been around me for anything. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, a money preacher. But you know what I am? I'm a giver. I am a giving guy. I love to give. I give all the time. That's been something that's, that's marked Millie and I's life. Whatever we get, we're just waiting for a way to turn up. We're not telling people about it all the time, but we constantly love to give and to bless people. We don't do it grudgingly. We do that because that's what Jesus does to us. And we find out through that that God just constantly supplies our need according to our riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And so all of those things might seem right. Man, we're faithful to give. We're faithful to go to church. We're faithful to worship. We're faithful to, to witness. But folks, listen. My best efforts, even if they look like all of those good things that I do, can still be the flesh. Do you hear me? And then they can reveal that I'm not truly walking in the Spirit dependent upon Christ, but what I've done is I've just got a checklist with enough checks on it that makes everybody else think that I'm walking in the Spirit. And so we think to ourselves, just like that, give me enough boxes that apply to me, and maybe the ones that are checked outnumber the ones that are not, or maybe the ones that I check are just a, a little bit more out there and a little bit more grandiose than the ones somebody else checks. But there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ who don't walk after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the, the law or that principle that was established of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes me free from the law of sin and death. It makes me free from that law of Moses that, that they were trying to bring them back into. But here's the kicker on all of that. You will never, somebody say never, you will never be free from the law of sin and death until you are subject to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Okay, I said that. But I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in just a second. But I want to say it again. You will never be free from the law of sin and death until you are truly subject to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The reason being is because you'll constantly be reintroducing the condemnation of the law back into your life through the efforts of the flesh. Self-righteousness. That's what it is. And thus what you'll do is you'll continue to walk in the bondage to the guilt, to the shame, to the curse associated with it. How many of you have had reoccurring problems? Maybe you've, your total victory right now and you can shout hallelujah. But how many of you that in your life one of the big things that you struggled with was always shame and guilt and condemnation over something? What's that associated with? Is that associated with righteousness? Or is that associated with the curse? And so if I'm walking in the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, what does that tell me? Biblically speaking, does it say I'm just not work, trying hard enough? No, this is I'm trying the wrong way. I'm walking according to the flesh. Why? Because the flesh is always going to produce the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, it's going to cause a conviction to come into my life. And it's always going to propel me to Christ Jesus. And I'm going to see the futility of my own efforts. And I'm going to be able to walk in a freedom associated with the blood of Jesus that Troy Bond could never experience or realize on his own. Why? Because I can now love him because he first loved me. And he demonstrated that great love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. As religious as we were, he died for the ungodly. As much as we witnessed, because we had the great t-shirt, he still died for the ungodly. Because we went to the right nations and we did the right stuff and we gave the right amount of money. He still died for me. And I had to realize that on my very best day, that I still deserved hell apart from Jesus. That's it. That's the realization. Not that I got a raw deal or God owes me something, but God doesn't owe me anything. I could do everything right, never have a word of profanity come out of my mouth, never have a lustful thought, give everything that I have and give it to the poor. I could offer my, myself to be burned. But if I really don't love Him, I deserve hell. See, folks, it's hard sometimes for us to admit that. That apart from faith in Jesus, I could jump through all the hoops and I don't deserve anything. You know what that has done for me? 
Man, that puts all of my dependence upon Christ Jesus. All my warts, all my idiosyncrasies, all my, 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 my feebleness, any of my failures, any of those things. And I say, listen, that can't be the focus of who I am. That can't define me. What's going to define me is what you're saying about me because of what you did for me upon the cross of Calvary. So then I can go back to Galatians 2.20 and say, I'm crucified with Christ. And if I've got to crucify myself every single day, my own attempt at self-righteousness, my own self-pity, my own lack of self whatever it is, I'm going to do it every single day. And I'm going to make it a conscious decision to identify not with what Troy Bond can do or what Troy Bond can't do, but what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And you know what? That doesn't give me a license to sin. That gives me the power to walk in right standing with God and demonstrate the qualities that He desires to have in my heart and life. And so unless you do that, you'll introduce those things and you'll walk in guilt and condemnation because freedom, redemption, victory, that scary word, perfection, is never and will never be realized apart from a revelation of the finished work of the cross of Calvary. You have a problem with walking in righteousness? Well, your only problem is, is you have a problem with the revelation of the cross. If you're afraid of the word perfect, well, you have a problem with the revelation of the cross of Calvary. Why? Because he was that perfect, blameless, spotless lamb that was given for me. He stood in the gap. He became the second Adam, the son of God, the son of man, the way, the one that came and took away my sins and cast my sins as far as the east is from the west and put them in the sea of forgetfulness. And I believe it. Amen? You're going to fault me for that? Are you going to call me unrighteous for believing that the righteous one, the Lamb, slain before the foundations of the world came and paid that price for me? But realization can never occur apart from revelation. And then the demonstration will be the product of that revelation. I'm never going to realize who I am in Christ Jesus and what righteousness looks like until I get a revelation of the necessity of putting my faith in Jesus. Then what's going to happen? Then the demonstration of all of those qualities are going to naturally flow out of my life. And so to walk contrary to who he is, is going to be unnatural. It's not going to be a natural thing for me. Folks, listen, when I got born again, man, before I got radical for Jesus, man, I had a foul mouth. I did. I was around foul mouth people, so I just talked just like they did. And I took pride in talking worse than they did. But man, when Christ Jesus came into my life, but you know what happened? I got instantaneously delivered from that. Ask my wife in the 31 years that she's been married to me how many, how much profanity she's ever heard come out of my, my mouth. Not if I hit my finger on a, 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 with a hammer or anything else. Why? Because Christ is in me. There's a stopgap that came into my life. I've really changed. There's really a difference in my life not because I'm biting my tongue. It's just because, man, that's just not natural for me anymore. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to walk in bitterness. I don't want to have a, an attitude somewhat. I don't want to be resentful. I don't want to do that. Why? Because I got a revelation of who Jesus was. And as a result, man, there's the realization of his character in my life. And I can demonstrate those things. Not because I've got a cottage industry on that stuff. But because I said i got to decrease to the point of not thinking that I can do these things, and I'm going to give him room to increase in my life. You know Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace that we're saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of the law, not of those things. It's the gift of God, not of works. There it goes again. Lest any man would be able to boast, but we're his workmanship. We're created in Christ unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. But you know what the traps are? And I say traps with an S, plural. The first trap is trying to do good works to somehow please God or to be righteous. That's a trap. I mean, if I can just do this, I won't feel ashamed anymore. If I can just do this. How many have tried and failed at that? Besides all of us. That's the first trap. Thinking that I'm going to do enough good things. And God's going to say, okay, you, you met the standards. You, 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 you met the criteria. And here's the second trap. Thinking that you can please God even while continuing to do evil things because of grace. That's the flip side. That I'm going to please God because of all the great things. Or, you know what? Because of God's grace, God is such a mindless buffoon. I can do whatever I want to because I backed him into a corner. And he's going to put his hand over his eyes. He's going to look like the three little monkeys that hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Even though I'm evil. 
And he's going to be a liar because he's just that feeble little guy sitting up somewhere in heaven. And he's going to be so satisfied that even I'm, because I'm repulsive and I don't want to act like him, it's just so I acknowledge him. Really? Absolutely not. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So there's the two traps. But here's the truth. And the truth is this in Romans 5.19. Because one person, Jesus, of course, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You know what I love about that, folks? It didn't say many will do righteous. It said many will be made righteous. How many of you guys like puppy dogs? Like puppy dogs? What happens when, when a puppy dog gets a little bit bigger and somebody knocks on the door of the house? What's that dog do? He barks. You know why a dog barks? When you have a deal Because it's a dog. You know why babies cry? Because they're babies. And so, the reason that I do righteous things is because I am made righteous. Folks, I don't do righteous things to become righteous. I do righteous things because that's naturally who I am when I put my faith in Jesus and not under the standards of the law. That's the truth. Now, here's the second truth. It's Isaiah 53.10. And I say this as the, as, as the counter to thinking that we can please God by somehow just acknowledging God. But here's what pleases God. Isaiah 53.10. Before you turn there, Andrew, what do you think pleases God? What do you think pleases God? Yes. Man. When we do right? No. Otherwise, no. Huh? I'm going to tell you what pleased God. Isaiah 53.10. It pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. That's what pleases God. It pleased God to offer His Son as a sacrifice. So how do I please God? How do I please God? I identify with Jesus Christ. That's back to our Galatians 2.20. So if I want to be pleasing to God, what do I do? I identify with the very thing that please God. I put my faith in what please God. I do what please God. I walk and live a crucified life. That's why Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, my follower, what do you do? Do you deny yourself? In other words, all the things that you could do, your adherence to the law or those principles, take up your cross. Identify with me. Become an, identify with my suffering. That way you can identify with me in glory. And so if I want to be pleasing to God, all I've got to do is say, God, I want the revelation of the cross of Calvary because that's where I'm going to put my faith. So I have departed from the bondage of law or sin and death in order to enter the freedom of another law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So my ability to live righteously is completely dependent upon relying upon Jesus to enable me to do so. How can I live righteous? Because I'm depending upon Jesus. Because I realize that I can't. But he can. See, there's the freedom. There's the spirit of life in Christ. In Christ Jesus. Is I'm saying I'm going to depend upon Jesus to enable me to do that. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. You know this as well. Trust in the Lord. Finish that. With all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding which is what? The trap of the law. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll do what? He'll direct your paths. Good answer. So if I, lead a, uh, if I trust in the Lord with every bit of my heart, I don't put my dependence upon the trap of the law, my own understanding, but in all my ways, I acknowledge Him, then there's an expectation. What is it? He will direct my paths. And so when He gives direction where He directs my paths, what can I expect to happen? You know what I'm saying? Okay, if I depend upon Him, if I rely upon Him, I don't depend upon He's going to direct my paths. So, is it just some random path? So what's that going to look like if He directs my path? Ultimately, it's going to be everlasting life, and the product's going to look like righteousness. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But you think about people all the time, they say, listen, man, I'm just... Uh, God's put me on a different path or 
You know what? I'm going in another direction. Folks, there's only one direction. There's only one path. There's only one will. It's, it's called good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's not this random thing that we spin and... I wonder what I'm going to get from God this time. Well, God is very predictable because He said, I'm the Lord God and I do not change. Now, here's what we can expect to happen when He directs our paths. Psalm 23.3 He restores my soul. What does He do? He brings me back into right standing with Him. That's the ministry of reconciliation. And He leads me on the path of righteousness. He leads me on the path of righteousness for His Namesake. Isaiah 43 tells us he's redeemed me. That's that restoring my soul. He has called me by his name. I'm his. And so the expectation when I depend upon him is I'm going to be on a path of righteousness. You hear people say all the time, well, you know, sometimes, you know, God, will, he wants you to go through a few things so you can understand what it looks like. Or, you know what, sometimes God will send you into, into drugs and all that stuff so you can understand Drug addicts. Or God will send you all People say ridiculous stuff like that. Let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted by God. God will tempt no man with evil. And so if you're going down that path of destruction, it's your own choice. Well, you know, you really can't minister to somebody unless you've been through the same thing. Well, tell that to Jesus. He never participated in any sin, but he redeemed every single one of us. Folks, I've never ridden a motorcycle one time. But I tell you what, I preached to tons of bikers in Daytona Beach. I've never done any drugs, but I sure have ministered to a lot of drug addicts. I've done those things. To, so did I have to be a drug addict to minister to the drug addicts? No, I had to believe in the righteousness of God to minister to people in any situation. Because all of those situations are just symptomatic of a problem. I don't have to get all tatted up and be cool and to, to be able to minister to millennials. I just need to be like Jesus. Because he didn't do all those things and become the gospel hipster and the pot-smoking peace sign the throwing Jesus to, to, to hopefully he could relate to them. I don't want to relate to sin. I want to relate to Jesus and allow people to be drawn. If he is lifted up, not sin, not compromise, not the things of this world, not identifying with those things, but if he's lifted up, he draws men to him, not to the works of the flesh. So when I walk in the spirit, I'm being directed along the path that he's ordained for me, and that path always lives to righteousness and away from the curse. And so he's directing my path. I'm not under the curse. I'm not walking on those things that are going to bring a curse in my life. I'm walking on those things that are going to bring a victory into my life. Back to Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do that was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And so the law could not do it then, right? So if it couldn't do it then, do you think he can do it now? Whatever law you want to call, whatever principle you want to look at, whatever effort, if it didn't work when it was still fresh in the lives of the people that culturally adhered to it, why do we think that those things would work now? And so Jesus came that the righteousness of the law not the letter of the law, but that the righteous components or the directive of the law might be fulfilled. Folks, we talked about early on in this, you know, there's this movement, this Hebrew roots thing, where all these people suddenly, you know, they're, you know, they, they want to use the sacred name of Jesus, that J didn't exist, all this stuff like this. They want to go back and, 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 and you know, they're blasting people that, that celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. And I don't think there's a single one of us that actually believed that Jesus was born on December 25th. All of these things, and they, they want to get back under the legalism of these things. And, you know, they want to do the right Passover meals and all those things. And, you know, the Word tells us, don't let any man judge you according to feast days and all those other things, new moons, etc., etc. But what they, they'll argue that fulfill doesn't mean abolish. That's what they'll say. Well, Jesus came to fulfill. That don't mean he came to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. That way we can all walk according to the law. That's what they'll teach. But here's the problem with that. That word fulfilled literally means to complete, to carry into effect, to bring realization. I want to bring the realization of what the purpose of the law was. And the realization of the law was that there ain't a single thing a single one of us could do to ever please God apart from faith in what Jesus Christ did. 
That's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to, to demonstrate and to fulfill the law. That there had to be someone that came that was perfect, that was sinless, that was uh, above and beyond all of those things that we could ever do in the natural. That it was Jesus. That's what the law was for. To reveal that we couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. None of the patriarchs of old could do those things to fulfill the righteousness of God. I looked for one to stand in the gap, is what the prophet Ezekiel said, and I found none. The revelator said, I looked for one that was righteous that could open the books, and I found one. And who was that? was Jesus. And so to be fulfilled literally means to bring the realization of our dependence upon Christ. Matthew chapter 5, 17, you've heard this. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Abolish literally means to destroy or to dissolve. No, he didn't come to remove the standard associated with the law. He came to demonstrate that he was the only one that could meet the qualifications. He was the only one that could meet the standard to fulfill them, to bring us to that place of intended realization. Back to our text, Galatians 3, 10 through 12. But those who depend upon the law to make them right with God are under the curse. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by keeping the law. For the scripture says, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. And the way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. In verse 10, but those who depend upon the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe the law and all the commands that are written in the book of the law. So the law was designed to lead them to Jesus the Redeemer by demonstrating the complete futility of those trying to keep the law. That's what Jesus came for, to demonstrate that nobody could do it but him. But instead, they allowed the law to lead them to dependence upon the flesh or to self-righteousness. And the curse is ultimately the consequence of failing at even one point of the law. If you get a chance, I don't have time tonight. <clears throat> Read again, because you guys are so familiar with 1 John chapter 3. Read chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, with what we're talking about tonight. When he says, whoever transgresses, also the law. He says, whoever commits sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And so what sin is, is just the realization that apart from Jesus, there's nothing that I could ever do to be made righteous. Father, tonight, Father, what our prayer is, is that we will see the futility of God in our own efforts. That, Father, our dependence, any righteousness that's going to be on display in our life is going to be strictly, Lord God, through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. But Father, I thank you, Lord God, that it was a package deal. That, Lord God, we come to you, Lord God, you just don't redeem us. But, Lord God, you give us the realization to put forth the demonstration of those things. That, Lord God, you didn't save us, Lord God, so we could still act lost. That you redeemed us and you made us to be righteous, Lord God, so we could walk in the righteousness, Lord God, that's described in your word. Father,